Welcome to the Loose Women in Pharma podcast, a Women in Pharma production. Um, everybody here we have another one of our um, loose women in pharma podcasts and today we are talking about compliance confidence oh compliance don't run away everybody it's gonna be <laughs> safe it's gonna be lovely we're gonna have fun you don't need to be afraid because compliance confidence is the opposite of compliance scariness which is what sometimes people feel and today we have with us our guest, uh, Rena Newton, who is um, a real expert in compliance. And she's um, here to give us a bit of um, guidance on some of the things that we can do with, with compliance. So, Rena, do you want to just introduce yourself, tell us your expertise and how you come to this place of being the compliance, the compliance queen? Oh, okay. What a title. No pressure at all. Um, thank you very much, both of you, for inviting me along today. So I've been in the industry. I think there's a lot of us who've reached the same sort of age now where we all go. We've been in the industry for 25 plus years. And um, again, like lots of people sort of came in at very junior levels. But the thing about the code is that it applies to so many people in pharma and so many levels. It doesn't care about your job title really too much. So I got very early experience and I think um, to use terms like creator or originator or reviewer of materials, those are quite standard terms. And then uh, towards the sort of um, uh, halfway through my corporate career became an approver of materials. So that's a different take at look at the code. And then when I became compliance leader, I was auditing materials. So the beauty, um, the beauty of the code, which is two words you never hear in one sentence, is that it can be a little bit of a dry read. But when you are looking at it with different eyes, it actually it just comes to life because I'm able to, you know, advise people not what that theoretical clause means, but what does it look like in practice? And how can we make the most of that in our interpretation? And that's really what I find very satisfying. And that's what I'm passionate about. So I guess that explains the basis for the expertise. And what we're talking about when we mean code there is, you know, we're, we're recording in the UK. We have the, our own UK code, which is the ABPI code. But really, the FPA code it, for people, a lot of people um, work to, you know, create European core content or co core content for, you know, many, many, many parts of of the world. So when we talk about the code in the in your context, because there's also codes like PAGB and various other codes that govern other um, classifications of, of medicines, we're talking about Rx medicines that come under those codes. Yes, you're right. And, and, and good for picking that up because I'm so used to my, my bubble in the UK and restricting myself to that language. But yes, I mean, um, most countries in Europe have their own national codes. They have all embedded in that code, the European code that you mentioned there, FPA. So it's really quite nice because across Europe, and that in this context does include the UK, we have this huge common theme going on, and that is the FPA code. So there are sometimes countries will go, oh, well, we're allowed to do that here. And you sort of go, well, no, actually you're not. 
because, mm -hmm. for example, stuff that's in the European law, um, we're not allowed to promote a prescription-only medicine to the public. That applies across the whole of Europe. That's not just a UK-specific thing. Yeah. I think and in many, other, many, many other countries. Other countries beyond well. Europe, absolutely. So I think it's um, we talk about it a lot in the UK because our cases are published. And therefore, I think other countries feel like we are stricter or we're different. And we're really not. We just communicate more. Fantastic. So, um, so you're... You're a, ph you're a pharmacist by by background, and you also, when we you spoke at our Women in Pharma launch event, and you also you're very modest here, but you you did you were you campaigned to get pharmacists um, pharmacists to be signatories as well. So you're you led led the charge on on that as well. Which uh, you know, congratulations um, for that. So today we want to talk about social media and compliance in relation to social media. Um, and I think the reason that we came to you and said, would you please come and tell us what's allowed is because I think that there was a time when they were really thought about maybe what they said on LinkedIn or what they put up there, maybe in their job title, things like that. They didn't even consider that that might be a breach. Now I think everybody knows that that is an area, it's a sort of a danger area and it's almost made people too scared to feel that that they can do anything and that they that they really should kind of hold themselves back from engaging with social media in this in this area so we you know because we we're all about empowering people you know you're talking about compliance confidence we we were hoping you would be able to talk to us a little bit today about not so much what is not allowed but mm -hmm. what can we do mm. Yeah. And that, again, is so refreshing, actually, because most companies just want to go through the cases and the cases are, are I mean, you know, the code in the UK is only enforced on a complaints basis. So immediately all we learn is what not to do. So that's unfortunately yeah. the basis. And what's really exciting is then be able to, you know, to read between the lines and look at the gaps and the cracks and say, right, well, actually, here we have an anomaly. And this means that we can actually talk about that and be confident that doing that or engaging with that post will not result in a problem or even a complaint. So there, there are definite areas. And it'd be nice to see company SOP structured in that way, because there's this fear of getting it wrong, you tend to see SAPs starting a lot with don't, don't, don't. And remember, don't. And I just want to sort of turn that around a bit and just say, well, can we start with the do's and can we make sure there's more do's than there are don'ts? And let's just think about engaging people rather than writing a list of, you know, what you can't do, because that's not engaging for anyone. Mm. Right. That would be brilliant. Because I know, you know, today, social media is our lives isn't it and mm -hmm. and it just feels like um when you know i'm a marketeer and my team are constantly looking yeah, at the multi-channel you know way we, we want to communicate and um there's definitely i think there's a tension that we feel all the time of you know wanting to be creative and wanting to do things differently knowing that there's all these possibilities and yet um but then we kind of hit up against the compliance wall and, and, and their fear as you describe it. And I think that's a, a great way of putting it. And and then it's hard for us to be able to sort of negotiate in an empowered way because there's there's almost that all that's that kind of no, we have to avoid putting our company, you know, at risk of 
being you know called into disrepute or something like that so yeah. I think it would be brilliant to kind of have some some more clarity yeah and I, and I think what you picked up on is 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 my why you know and why I'm passionate about this area is because I strongly believe that compliance confidence should belong to the many and not just a few mm-hmm. and what you raised there Miriam about you know um, being fearful and not and being worried to challenge and it's not just we're not seeing it with the younger generation in fact gen z are more bullshit than ever <laughs> i suggested to my kids that they sort of lay off tiktok and they accuse me of child abuse so you're like, <laughs> okay you're absolutely right you know social media is it's just a case of navigating our way through it now they can use it confidently so why is that? So I look at what are they doing and how are they doing it? And half the, half the time, they are instructing me how to do it. Mm-hmm. And if you go back to sort of psychology and the reasons why things don't embed and why are the same companies getting the same breaches all the time, you know, it's a really basic point that it's not just being told what to do and mandated. You have to be able to explain why you're doing that to somebody else. And that's why my kids are TikTok experts. And I think that's why I'm a code expert is because I just think having that ability to tell somebody else what that SAP means is really quite, quite powerful. Yeah. And I think certainly from the agency point of view, just just on that, you know, every single signatory that we deal with across every single company has a totally different interpretation of the code. And of course, all um, all clients think, well, you know the code. Well, we do. We know the code with probably one approver, then another approver comes along and then it's, you know, their interpretation is different. And of course, because it's not black and white, it is all about interpretation. Mm. But, you know, for agencies, it is, I mean, I'm actually passionate about code as well. I think the code exists for all the right reasons. And I think mm. it is absolutely right, proper. We should all be upholding it. But sometimes it is held up as a barrier as to why you can't do all sorts of things and sometimes that might seem a little bit not serving not serving patients not not doing the best by them and i and i feel that that's where we sometimes shoot ourselves in the foot but anyway let's get on let's tell us tell us what can we say so I think what I was keen maybe to, to share with your with you guys, but also your followers, is is a really simple. There are three kinds of posts. I mean, there are more actually, but I think we'll keep it simple today. There are three key kinds of social media posts that I want people to feel like a little bit more confidence in understanding that they can engage with them and when I mean engage I mean you can like and share obviously different platforms have slightly different algorithms so you'd have to know for example on LinkedIn link a like and share is the is the same action Uh, not necessarily so on other platforms like Instagram so the first one would be recruitment posts and under recruitment, you know, I'm going to I'm going to put all sorts of things in there like um, HR, like those a day in the life of a marketing manager, those kinds of posts, because they're purely to entice um, people who are aspiring to join the industry or people who are already in the industry in another company. So when I say, yes, it's safe to like those, you know, there's, there's always caveats. And I, I hate being that person that says it depends, but. The caveat here is, of course, if that recruitment post contained a a humdinger of a job title, which was a medicine's name and its indication, 
Well, then that's a promotional claim. Those two attributes constitute promotional claim. If somebody from the UK was to like that, then that would look as though they were promoting to the public. And does it have to have both the medicine name and the indication? What if it was, you know, we're recruiting for brand, you know, X, whatever it is, uh, product manager, and it mentioned the name of the medicine, but not what that medicine was for? Yeah. So actually, um, the the general rule would be, and this isn't in the code, which is why it's so irritating to people. It's two attributes about a medicine. So it might not even be mention of the brand name. Even if that ad said we're recruiting in, um, I don't know, a stroke and we've got the first and only yada, yada, yada. Well, actually, what you've done then is that you've basically described the medicine without the name. And yeah. that would be promotion. Yeah. And then to make matters worse, there are some products that are just so well known, like Botox and Viagra, that they don't need the other attribute mentioned. So if there's someone was, if Allegamma was recruiting for a Botox brand manager, that would be promotion to the public because everyone knows what Botox is licensed for. Yeah. Okay. So, but but I I mean honestly, it is an area I scrutinise a lot on social media. It is not an area where I see any problems. Recruitment posts on the whole are like safe territory to yeah. like and share. And I mean that's what HR are doing it for. They want they want their employees to extend the reach of, you know, who's looking at this. Okay, great. So that's recruitment um, ads. Um, what about if you added a comment? What about if there was a great ad being out there, you know, come and join this company, you know, be the um, marketing lead for brand X and, you know, say I knew, um, you know, I knew that that was going to be a great job. Could I sort of put something like, oh, so-and-so is a great company to work for, um, uh, you know, snap up this offer or you know yeah, something, yeah. something a bit more sophisticated Brilliant. not only are you sharing it now and, and increasing the reach but you're are you adding some endorsement and some excitement around it and hr should be biting your hand off for that that's brilliant what you can't do is to say let's go back to that i'm going to keep reiterating it mention of a medicine and its indication or those two attributes piece yeah okay. be mindful if one of them's in the main ad don't add another one in your comment Fair enough. Makes Got sense. It. Good. Good. Recruitment. Safe. Mostly. Um, yeah. <laughs> the second one, I, I do see um, a few issues with currently, but I mean, if it's done properly, it should give a lot of confidence in liking and sharing. And that would be company posts. So if you are working for a company and your company is putting posts out there, Let's say there's huge disease awareness campaigns going on at the moment for Novartis in the area of, I don't know, cardiovascular. And they've spent a lot of money, I imagine, with agencies to <clears throat> develop the campaign and the images and all this. And it is a disease awareness campaign that's been approved to make the public aware of the disease. Now, how, how rubbish is it then that our own employees are not even liking that particular post. What does it say to a member of the public who then goes, well, why is there no one from Novartis actually liking this? What does it tell me about, should I be worried? 
Yeah. If you turn it around like that, everyone who works for Novartis in the UK should be liking and sharing approved, and that's the key word, approved company material. Yeah. And do companies sort of, in your experience, do they do they tell their employees, hey, we're doing a big campaign on this, you know, be really hip, or, you know, send links for them to like and share? Is that something that you see a lot of? I do. I've seen a whole variety of different things, actually, Sarah. There are some companies that put the, the job bag code that's used in approval. Yeah. They actually put that within the post itself. So not a requirement. Have our signatures going, well, it's not needed on a post. I'm like It doesn't matter. It's an obvious way of telling all those employees, look, it's approved. Yeah. So it's like an internal kind of uh, message. But mm. yes, we see SOPs that say, please like messages that come from this account. Um, I see, um, he, here are this week's bank of social media. If you're a big company, that can be a big old email. And if you keep sending it every week, you end up with employee blindness. Mm-hmm. That becomes a danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've seen mm-hmm. that definitely. Uh, I guess it's um, it's because I guess people all around the world for a company could be posting. So there's the classic, you know, the Americans post, and then they put brands and boxes and stuff all over it. And then you go, great, you know, and then it's like, oh, no. But um, so, so yeah, we started to get the emails around, which is these are posts you can interact with. But, um, yeah, I think it's a good point how it's uh, then, yeah, it's like, oh, can't be bothered then. And there, was so, there were so many complaints about that. And it's actually yeah. quite boring where people yeah. have gone, oh, I didn't know it was a, a U.S. post. or Because yeah. the company is still the same name. Yeah. It's just that, that, I mean, that is one of the real dangers isn't it? I've sort I've sort of seen people, you know, doing that, saying, you know, this, you know, the brand has been launched in the US and somebody who isn't even like a UK sort of person, but is based in the UK, does a like and and I'm like, oh no, you shouldn't do that. There you go. And I actually I, I try and make a point of just contacting if somebody I know who's connected to me, I do make a point of reaching out and explaining. Um, And it's always taken really well. I mean, there's a few people that don't like it, but it's always taken very well. And people appreciate it because it's better than complaining to the authorities. We should all be doing that. If we see a mate or a connection or a colleague, just let them know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so company posts that have been approved for... Uh, the UK. Um, that's number. That's number two. That's number two. Yeah, and then the third. Number three. The third one is just. Uh, it's more of a, a bigger picture, looking at the whole of the industry, which is, <clears throat> we can only be accused of promoting medicines from our own company. But oh. actually, the code doesn't apply if um, if I was to like, or if you were to like a post, you know, that Miriam had put out. Actually, you and Miriam don't work for the same company. And therefore, this sort of working together as an industry mentality is, I mean, we're we're nowhere near it yet. But if everyone was sharing each other's posts and liking each other's posts, we don't have to worry about the reach of our own campaigns. Because, look, I've got Roche and Allegan liking my my posts for me here. And we should be doing that. We should be celebrating. If we all say we're patient-centred, we should be celebrating each other's disease awareness campaigns, not just our own. 
And I yeah. just don't see enough of that going on because there's this whole fright, well, that's a competitor. But they're all patients in the same disease space. And if you cared, like you say you care in your company mission statement, well, then it's for the good of the patients, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So, so can I just check something with you there? Just to, so as an example, you know, we tend to move around the industry and you might work for one company and then you work for a competitor at some point. And so hyper, uh, this actually really happens that and uh, someone who worked for a company that I used to work for in the US announced the launch of Brand X because mm-hmm. they can. Um, so if I then in my company separate was to like that, mm-hmm. what's what's the perspective on that then? I mean, that's totally fine. That's not your company anymore. Really? It was, it yeah. was, but it's not yours anymore. So the why danger, would you get Miriam, into trouble? No, no, no. The danger, Miriam, is if it's the other way. Right. You work for company A. Yeah. And you're busy liking posts from company B. Yeah. Three years down the line, you join company B. Oh. And some, and there's always someone, right, who will go filtering through and go, oh, there's a post there that Miriam actually mentioned Company B's product three years ago. There's no yeah. statute of limitation. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But the, the, going back to confidence, <laughs> just, you know, the, the, the possibility of that happening is so remote. Yes. If we try and act now to avoid all risk, we will grind to a halt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just yeah. about being pragmatic and sensible and thinking, no, what's the likelihood of that? Really, it's remote. You wouldn't stop, you know, sharing on social media now because of what might happen. Yeah. yeah. So let me just clarify from an agency point of view. So if you're working in an agency and you have a you know, have a contract with your client and, you know, you were to say, uh, you know, something about a medicine you are essentially sort of part of that company. You would you would get into trouble with that company, but 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 in the same sort of sort of rules apply. If you're not working for a company and you see a disease awareness or something that they're doing that you think you know, wow, look at they're doing that in that rare disease. What an amazing thing! Or that oncology product. Or wow, that's absolutely amazing. And you mm. want to you know, you want to like or share it, it's, you know, if you're not working with that company, it's absolutely fine, even if it did mention a medicine or it was for the US or something like that. Not your company, not your client. Perfect. It's a really good example. And I think, you know, what you pulled out there, rare diseases, I mean, they really need disease awareness and they really need us to be sharing that widely. So it's a really good example of what we should all be doing because that company can't do it. Do you understand? I mean, apart from it being disease awareness, they would, you know, rare disease companies tend to be small companies. And so therefore they could be limited in some respects. Yeah. But I just think that injection of us acting as one industry, we're a little bit um, away from. Yeah. I think what it also makes me think, I'm saying I'm always sort of saying to my team, everything we do, we have to do with our brain switched on. We cannot do any anything in our industry with our brain switched off. We can't be casual about any of this. It's very important that brains are switched on. And I think when we approach social media and we're just having a little scroll through, mm. you know, kind of our brains are idling. And so maybe we just need to make sure our brains are always switched on, even if we're sitting at home having a little flick through our LinkedIn and, yeah. you know, 
and and we are not brain switched on you just have to just it's not that you can't do it you just have to have that second of thought before yeah. you do it yeah and again i think there's preaching and then there's practice and it is super easy for me to <laughs> to sit here i could preach all day but do I, in the middle of the night when I can't sleep, you know, half asleep, scroll and like, yeah, I do. In fact, that's when I do a really dangerous online shop sometimes. <laughs> so I just think it, it is really, really hard. And when you look at the cases, you see in the responses, the employee was trained. They'd read the SAP. This was a mistake. It was an inadvertent like. And so what we try and say to people when I'm training them is, do you know why you like a message? And that really kind of it stops people and think, well, oh, I don't know. Are you doing it to tell the author, I agree with you? Are you doing it because you're sharing this with all of your 6,000 followers and you want them to read it? And just realizing why you like something can prevent you from going. I mean, you can read a post and go, that's brilliant. You don't yeah. always have to like it. Yeah. And the phenomenon that we have in pharma is this one of, um, of junior employees and CEO posts. It's sort of the sycophantic feel of the CEO has done a post, I better like it. Mm -hmm. And so we try and concentrate our efforts on compliance confidence at the highest levels. Because if they get it right, then actually there's a really good chance of this really useful post being quite impactful and powerful and compliant. Mm, great. Amazing. Gosh. Who knew, we could have, who knew we could have such a long and... Uh... <laughs> interesting conversation about this about, I, know, I knew the shock most people probably couldn't think that that would be possible <laughs> oh well it's so great as well to ha have someone talking about compliance with so much passion but also positivity as well and um so i mean i imagine many people are probably thinking oh i, I want to be able to contact rena in the future like so tell us you know how how might they do that um, so today, actually, was the uh, launch of my new company, and I have co-founded it with a very good friend of mine, Jean Wilcox. So we worked together for years at um, Compliment before we sold that company. So the new company is called Code Clarity, and it's, it's driven by the fact that we both share the same why. As I mentioned there, it's about compliance, confidence, and we really believe that it shouldn't belong to these just few people who hold all the power and don't really share it. So it is about making sure that everyone feels like they have enough. And that means for us that we've poured all our years of insight into digital offerings. And these are like really simple things like podcasts, just like you guys are doing so well. We've uh, developed checklists and eBooks and on-demand webinars because, you know, long gone are the days, I believe, that people should be mandated to sit in an all-day code workshop and be expected for that information to embed. It's just not how human beings are wired. And we should all just access what we need when we need it in different ways. You know, some of us are auditory and some of us, some of us aren't. So Jean and I are, are really excited and the website is uh, codeclarity.co.uk and um, yeah we're just going to be starting to put lots and lots of content there and talk to lots of people about how we can help. That's brilliant and um, and does that cover the kind of UK only or is that kind of going into the broader EMEA sphere? At the moment the UK is such a big and busy and needy market 
we are concentrating on UK, but we have big plans to scale because, to be honest with you, every country has their own compliance issues and they have their own country codes. So watch this space. Fantastic. And um, as as you said uh, earlier, Sarah, Rena was one of our speakers at um, our first event, Inspire, uh, which was back in March, and uh, told an amazing story about her her life story, way beyond compliance as well, which uh, I think a lot of people could resonate with. And uh, so it's great to have you um, empowering up um, all of our listeners on uh, on compliance. Good. Hopefully, so thank you for coming today. Hopefully, wonderful. Thank you, you so well, much. Looking for forward me. to. My, our pleasure and looking forward to seeing you at our event next week so for for those of you i don't know what this will probably go out after empower won't it i imagine but um but anyway thank you for for joining and we'll um we'll see you very soon okay lovely Bye-bye. see you later take care Bye. thank you thanks for listening if you haven't done so already why not join our linkedin group the loose women in pharma podcast is a women in pharma production